All right, this morning I am reading from 2 Kings 5, 1 through 3. This is the New Living Translation. The king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. At this time, Aramean, I think, Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel, and among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. One day the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go to see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. This is the word of God. Thank you, Nancy. As, uh, as the weekend's been unfolding with Lou and Dee and everything that's going on with that, I was put in mind of, a, of another verse we need to touch on in the early days of the church. You know, Jesus talked about uh, being apprehended and arrested and put on trial and that happened really fast. And he talked about being crucified, and that happened really fast. And he talked about uh, being in the grave three days and then raising from the dead, and that happened really fast. And he talked about uh, going to the Father, and that happened really fast. And he talked about coming back, and it didn't happen really fast. And weeks went on, and months went on, and years went on. His prophecy about Jerusalem happened in 70 AD, and yet he didn't come back. And people started dying in the church. And this left this, this question, what's going on with that? I thought Jesus was going to be back. And Paul is moved to write this in uh, 1 Thessalonians. Uh, Brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive will and left will be caught up together with him to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Um, it's a tough week for D. Uh, it's even uh, a bit of a tough week for Lou because Lou's going to have to get along without some things. There's no ambulances where he went. He's going to have to learn to get, along, get around on his own. There's no hospitals where he went. Uh, no doctors or nurses except those that are retired and no longer have a practice. There's, uh, uh, there's no lawyers. Well, there's, there's one overworked defense attorney. He's got an incredible caseload. Um, 
there's a lousy prosecutor who loses every case, and there's one court and one judge, but that's it. The legal profession is really thin there. Um, there's no homeless camp. There's no, <laughs> there's no graveyard. And there's only one church. So he's going to learn to have to get along with a lot of few things. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, uh, for being with us through these days. We uh, ask you to be especially near to Dee and where we can be a help to her, where we can be family to her. Uh, ask you to give us the opportunity to walk with our sister through these days. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So yeah, Monica really threw down last week. Uh, talking about uh, nobodies and misfits, good work, really set the bar high, really made me sweat, so the game is on. Um, I don't know about you, uh, but I really like the openings of stories, the opening lines of stories, and not even for me the opening page or the opening chapter or the opening paragraph, just the first couple of sentences, if they're really good, make me really happy, right? It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was a dark and stormy night. It was a bright, cold day in April, and the clocks were striking 13. Mr. and Mrs. Dursley of number four, Privet Drive, are proud to say that they were perfectly normal. Thank you very much. You better not never tell nobody but God. There was a boy called Useless Clarence Scrub, and he almost deserved it. He was an old man who fished alone in a skiff in the Gulf Stream, and he had gone 84 days now without taking a fish. A good story opening is not only engaging and compelling, but it's got all the psychological drive that the hero is going to need to get through to the end. Right? Our text today begins a tale of its own, and thank you, Nancy, for, for kicking us off. Uh, now, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. When you hear in the scriptures, now, you know it's story time. There's something coming. Now, the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. It's story time. Now, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, back, back on the backside of the desert. Now, the gates of Jericho were securely barred. Now, a certain man was sick, and his name was Lazarus. 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 No, wrong story, sorry. Um, in this case, now Naaman was commander of the armies of the king of Aram. So it's time to circle around settle into your beanbag chair and imagine the story about to unfold. Now, a little background. Aram was a kingdom north of Israel. The capital was Damascus, a city older, much older than Jerusalem. 
been there for thousands and thousands of years. It had been there for thousands of years before Jerusalem came into being. Solomon had expanded his territory into southern Aram, stretching north. After the time of Solomon, uh, lesser kings lost ground to Aram, and Aram had pressed into pressed southward into Israel. There were cities taken back and forth. This is the story of Palestine since time began, right? We had it first. Well, we had it longest. Well, we have it now. But God gave it to us. Well, in that case, why are we still here? Unless we imagine that this is an ancient Middle Eastern problem, we're reminded that tomorrow is the 4th of July, and yet Independence Day didn't arrive at the same time in all locations. In places like Wounded Knee, Selma, Greenwood, Tahlequah, it was quite delayed, or maybe didn't come at all. Okay, back to the story. He was a great man, Naaman in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. Wait, what? The Lord had given victory to Aram? How can the Lord side with Israel's enemies? You may recall that Israel had a kind of on-again, off-again relationship with God. Under good leadership that focused on God and his laws, they were happy and faithful and prosperous. Then time passed. The king passed away. A lesser king or a king less devoted to God would take his place. The people became distracted by the ways of the peoples around them. Their devotion faded. Everything suffered until they realized they'd forgotten God. And a revival happens, often under the leadership of a prophet or, better yet, a new king. You've seen this, I'm sure. I have a longtime friend. He draws near to God during times of trouble. His prayer life deepens. His church attendance comes back. His devotional life rekindles, and God is all he can talk about. Then he gets satisfied. The distractions of life creep in, and soon he's running on fumes. I've watched this cycle over and over through the years. Just a rubber band, close and far, close and far. We're quite, quite close, this friend and I. I see him most days if I happen by the mirror. This, in Naaman's time, was a rebellious phase for Israel, and Israel was enduring God's discipline. Aram was the instrument of that discipline. Back to the verse. Through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Your Bible notes at this point may make mention that the Hebrew word leprosy covers a wide range of skin conditions. This isn't necessarily uh, the serious condition we would know as Hansen's disease. Um, and yet, every time this particular ambiguous Hebrew word is used in the scripture up to this point, people freak out. It's a terrifying prospect. Moses is afflicted with this disease and then is immediately miraculously cured again by God. Miriam, his sister, is stricken with this disease and becomes as white as snow. 
In Leviticus, it says that anyone afflicted with this disease has to be separated off and isolated away from the community. It's a serious deal. Every time it's mentioned in the scripture, it's a serious deal. And successful as he was, Naaman suffered apparently with an incurable condition. Verse 2, now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. What a sentence. What pain and darkness are in that simple sentence. As further evidence of the border conflict, now we have raiders going out to terrorize and kidnap. The girl's family maybe died defending their land, and she was taken along with the crops or animals. She was likely sold into Naaman's household, a slave to serve there, common property. Continuing on, as she served Naaman's wife. Verse 3, she said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. And this just blows me away. This girl, torn from her family, perhaps witnessed to their murders at the hands of her captors, reaches out to her enslavers and offers help. In my mind, I'm thinking... Stockholm syndrome, right? She's in survival mode, surviving like survivors survive. And granted, we don't have her tone here. It may have been taunting or sarcastic. Well, if only he'd go to the prophet, he'd be healed. It may have been an underhanded way to get Aram's great general into the hand of Israel's clutches. But I don't read it that way, and for that simple reason, they believed her. Verse 4, Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. Sounds like a governmental approach, doesn't it? So do a study, release a briefing, set up a program. A letter will fix it. I shall write a letter and seal it with the king's seal, which I will seal because I am the king. Please. To be fair, this is Naaman's insurance policy, his traveling papers, his safe passage, his safe conduct. The Aramean king has put Samaria on notice. If anything happens to my general, I know where he is. Continuing on. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. A lot of cash and goods. Can I just say that? A lot. I don't think this was provisions for the journey. I think this was payment for the expected cure. The journey from Damascus to Samaria is only 93 miles. I looked it up. Wouldn't know, but I looked it up. Even on horseback, it's not a long trip. An overnight bag for sure, but 10 sets of clothes? Verse 6, the letter that he took to the king of Israel read, and I quote, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you that he, you may cure him of his leprosy. Close quote. Zip, zop, one and done. I have handled the situation. 
Jeffrey, pour me a pomegranate juice. Now let's run down the power dynamic here. Aram is currently in charge. Israel is a vassal state, effectively a subject of Aram. Judah, while related to Israel ethnically and historically, is its own kingdom with its own government, not directly involved, and so Israel is therefore on its own. When Naaman shows up with his sealed letter, the king of Israel freaks out a little. Verse 7, as soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me? Me? When God steps in to act in human history, why do we always make it personal about us? As if God is writing checks that we have to cover out of our poor resources. He always invites us along to be sure. He encourages our participation. Like me, holding the light for Dad to work on the car. Can you see the bolt? No. Neither can I. Oh. Right? It's a role, and it's important, and there's no better place to be, but it isn't vital in the way we think about vital. He doesn't need us there. He wants us there. This reinforces the idea, though, that the illness was quite serious. First the letter, then the massive payment, then the reaction, am I God? Underscore the critical nature of this illness. Verse 8, when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent to him this message, would you do that for, no, he said, why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. The servant girl, remember her? Had sent Naaman to the prophet in Samaria, but the kings had gotten into the business, and there were egos involved. Stuff that was never meant to be personal had become personal. The kings had dropped into their default modes of giving commands and issuing decrees. How dense can they be? This is God's work, after all. Good thing we never do that, do we? Do we ever develop stratagems for reaching the lost? Evangelism explosion, four spiritual laws. Do we ever set up agencies to handle the problem of homelessness? Instead of getting personally involved, do we ever sit back and let the government take action? Okay, I've crossed over into meddling. Verse 9. Now Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Imagine, if you will, the scene. There's a cloud of dust over a distant hill. Suddenly into view come a large company of Aramean soldiers. This is a real Hollywood moment. Some of them are on horseback. Some of them are in iron chariots. And Elisha's servant runs inside and tells his master, None, some, nothing like this has ever happened. There's something happening. We're out here in the middle of nowhere, and here come all these soldiers. Elisha sends him back outside. By this time, other carts have come. And they're laden with tents and provisions. One wagon is loaded with silver and gold and enough clothing to open a J.C. Penny. Bringing up the rear is an impressive-looking individual wrapped in silks and brocade from head to foot. He's surrounded by his own detachment of guardsmen. The whole profession 
procession stops directly in front of Elisha's house. There's an awkward pause. The pause widens to a moment. The moment to an interval. The interval to an uncomfortable silence. The impressive-looking individual dismounts. Gehazi, the servant, disappears inside a second time. Verse 10. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. Read this. The great general of Aram shows up at Elisha's little house with horses and chariots and silver and gold, and Elisha sends the butler to the door. How savage is that? Sorry, can't come out. Busy, you know, doing profit stuff. Sure, you understand. Anyway, dip seven times and let me know how it went. Verse 11, but Naaman went away angry and said, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord, his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than the waters of Israel? And they are. Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? And so he turned off and went off in a rage. Not a rage, a rage. Been there? God gives the simplest, clearest, unambiguousest directions possible. And we're all, oh yeah, but... Well, you've got to be kidding. That's too simplistic. We have our own idea of what God should do, and then God, being God, up and does something completely out there. Here's the deal. If you do what God tells you to do, you'll be where he wants you to be, and you'll see what he wants to show you. Wait, what? Give me that again. If you do what God wants you to do, you will be where he wants you to be, and you will see what he wants to show you. Verse 13, Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? And so he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times in the man of God, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and made clean like that of a young boy. Now the first thing to know about this is that Samaria is nowhere near the Jordan. And so Naaman's entourage saddles back up, lumbers 16 miles down the river valley, down to the Jordan, and they find some accessible crossing point that they can get into, and they pitch a tent in the shallows of the river, right? Because a general doesn't get naked in front of just anybody, and they're starting to draw a crowd. He goes inside, and a few moments later comes a voice, It's cold! And then, I smell like fish! And a minute later, 
like dead fish. And still later, I am the color of mud. The mud is in my hair. My tent is all mud. But then a long minute, stone silence. And then, a giggle. Then, laughter. Riotous, uncontrolled laughter. He emerges from the tent looking like a human mud pie, but no longer concerned with modesty, he is healed. Miraculously, hysterically, uproariously healed. How many times as a young man did I argue with God? I want to do something great for you, he replied. Obey. I want to see real significance, he replied. Pray. I want to spend my time on things that really matter, he replies. Stay. Verse 15, then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. Saddle back up 16 miles back up the valley to his house. He stood before him and said, now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. You've won a prize. The prophet answered, Surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. You know, I'm going to have to truck this stuff back to Damascus. Yes, I'm afraid you are. If you will not, said Naaman, verse 17, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry, for your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god but the Lord. Radically converted. Suddenly a fire breather. You've met these people? You've been these people? And Naaman's just starting to understand, right? By this time, Naaman's still trying to figure it out. It isn't the water of the Jordan, or the mud, or the clay on which he's standing. It isn't the washing that cured him, but he wants to cart back a little earth from Israel to set up his own personal shrine to offer sacrifice to God. As if the road back to Damascus wasn't as holy as the road down to Samaria. As if every grain of sand in Syria wasn't formed and shaped by God's powerful hand. Maybe he's trying to think of the servant girl and bringing her back a little of her homeland. In any case, the man of God doesn't make it an issue. Did you pack a shovel or you want to borrow mine? Verse 18, but the Lord Forgive your servant for this one thing, like Columbo, just, just one more thing. When my master, the king of Aram, enters the temple of Rimon to bow down, and he's leaning on my arm, and so I have to bow down there also because he's bowing down. And when I bow down there in the temple of Rimon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. 
he's going to have to perform some professional duties. But they don't mean anything to me anymore, right? Because I know the truth. Elisha says, go in peace. Go in peace. Go in peace? Strange words for a man of Israel to offer the general of Aram. You've troubled our borders, but now go in peace. You have stolen our crops and burned our fields, but now go, just go, go in peace. You've taken captive and enslaved our children, but now go in peace. You've spilled blood in this place and will likely do so again, but go in peace. But you've believed the truth about God. So really, go in peace. And you, people of God, where are you in the telling of your own tale? You've weathered the storm of global pandemic and wondered what the future would hold. Remember, there is a God in Israel. You've suffered life-threatening illness. Remember, there's a God in Israel. You've survived the horrors of human trafficking or domestic abuse, but you are still seen by the God of Israel. You've relied on your own resources to pay for what you need, but remember, there's a God in Israel. You've tried in vain on your own to make the changes you know God wants for your life. But remember, there is a God in Israel. You've trusted in your own power to get things done. But remember, there is yet a God in Israel. And what about that nameless servant girl? I don't know. We're not told. I want to think, when Naaman returned home, whole again, she said, told you. I want to think that the house she served in was touched and radically changed by faith. I know she probably lived out her life in the house, enslaved. And I know that she was never a day without the watchful eye over her Lord. And I know that small obediences are always met by an abundance of divine grace. But I don't know much. We're not told much. What we do know is that 800 years later, in this very region, came a man, Jesus, who did things that reminded people a lot of Elisha. Whether feeding a multitude, raising the dead, confronting religious power, or healing of many lepers, we know that Jesus took pains to visit this area of Samaria, even though it wasn't popular with the religious leaders of the time, it was looked down upon, but he went there specifically. Engaged people there, like the woman at the well, told the parable about the good Samaritan, over opposed the religious leaders. 
he sent his disciples two by two into that region, town by town, to preach the kingdom there. He specifically went there. We also know that Syrian Antioch became an early center of the church and a center of Paul's missionary work. Paul, who was radically converted on that same Damascus road. As for the rest, we'll have to ask when we get there. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you to help us do what you want us to do so that we can see what you want us to see in our day. We ask it in Christ's name, trusting you. Amen. Go in peace.